Today's episode is in partnership with Freelance Football Ops. If any of our listeners are already out there freelancing in the world of football, or looking to get started even, you may be interested in signing up to Freelance Football Ops' subscription-based newsletter. They find you football media jobs which cover writing, design, video, audio, and much more, and they do it every week. My last newsletter was packed with all sorts of cool opportunities from commentary work to PR work even for some Premier League clubs. So if you're interested, and for some more info, head to FreelanceFootballOps.com. Welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. Today I'm joined by my co-host Joe and we're both really looking forward to chatting about a domestic league and a national side that we haven't covered much of yet on the show so far. I'm talking about the proud footballing nation of Scotland and joining us for some expert insight is today's guest. They'll be doubling up as our Scottish soccer Sherpa and helping us navigate through today's chat. He's one of the hosts of the Pure Fitball Podcast. He's also written pieces for Statsbomb and scouted football too. We welcome Owen J. Brown to the United Mates Football Podcast. Owen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you as our guest. Thanks for joining us. And how are you doing today? I'm really well, Kai. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's my pleasure to join you. Cheers. Fantastic. Well, yeah, thanks a lot for being here, Owen. We're looking forward to chatting about Scottish football, as Kaitel said. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but we always start our um, episodes with an icebreaker question for our guests. So... <laughs> We've noticed on Twitter that you weighed in on the controversy surrounding Celtic's recent trip to Dubai. And in the tweet, there's the image of um, Scott Brown um, sitting poolside on a deck chair. So um, whilst you have personally condemned the trip um, in the tweet, and none of us are clearly advocating travelling during these um, COVID times, um, when the time does come again to, you know, enjoy our holidays, go abroad, um, let's just say you had the chance to go with a footballer abroad. Which footballer would you like to go on holiday with and where would you go? Okay, um, I would pick to go near where Kai is, well, at least uh, compared to where I am. He's obviously in the west coast of America. It's where I spent some time as a child um, when I lived in Seattle a little bit. I would love to revisit there, have great memories, um, beautiful part of the world being up on the kind of Pacific Northwest. And I would take somebody like... Yeah, let's say Andres Iniesta, given it's not too far from him to jump over from Japan on a flight. Um, and I just, uh, you know, he's one of my favourite footballers ever. I think he'd be a really interesting guy to talk to. Um, you get a sense from him, not just about football, but maybe about life as well. Um, so, yeah, that'd be my ideal uh, post-lockdown footballer away trip. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great trip. The trip to Seattle with Andres Iniesta sounds fantastic. Um, mm. I think... Um, I'd, I mean, I'm, I'm a Spurs fan. You can probably see the shirt behind me, um, but I'm a big, um, well, no, I, I, I want to visit South Korea. So given I want to visit South Korea and we have Son Yun Min, I thought he could be the perfect tour guide to come on holiday with me and he can show me around his home nation. But um, Kaitel, who are you? Who, um, who would you be taking on this theoretical trip and where would you be going? Well, the talk of Seattle is bringing back mixed memories because the air up there is just so clean and crisp and it is a really beautiful place the pacific northwest but i also got a tattoo when i was up there and the guy spelled it wrong so mixed 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 um experience from my time in seattle i think i'll flip the script and if owen's coming over this way i'll head back to to england maybe 
And I don't know if it's just something that we, because we can't get it over here, but I just want something basic like Butlins with Jamie Vardy. Honestly, <laughs> what, what could be better? <laughs> Although actually, I think maybe as, as Owens here, I'll, I'll, and I'm an Arsenal fan too, maybe Kieran Tierney's a good lad. I think um, what we all saw the images of him like in his shorts and the, the short sleeve uh, kit warming up in the snow the other day, maybe we'd like climb Kilimanjaro and he'd just like rock up in shorts and a t-shirt and just like scale it with his hands. Um, yes. like, like the madman that Kieran Tierney is. Um, moving on from, I guess, yeah, footballers and, and holidays um, to Scottish football in particular. And Owen, obviously, beyond the fact that you are a Scot yourself and would have grown up with Scottish football all over TV and in the local news, I don't know, maybe even going to some games too. I know you mentioned that you're, you're an Air fan. Um, but essentially, what is it that is so special about Scottish football? And would you say that whatever it was that sort of drew you into Scottish football in the first place, do you think that that still survives to this day? Um, or as it might appear to the outside footballing world, has Scottish football lost something over the past couple of decades? Um, I think maybe the thing that maybe makes it a little bit unique um, or drew me to it is the maybe the connection between the players, the clubs and the fans being a little bit closer um, or at least not feeling like there's such a gulf as maybe there is in some other countries. You know, there's that kind of immediate sense of engagement. Um, and it's just... A, I guess, entertaining as well, not necessarily in terms of the heights of quality on the pitch, but just as a kind of overall spectacle, you know, the off-field stuff as well, the kind of added on little bits of uh, drama. So it's, it's that kind of stuff. Um, and maybe also the kind of authenticity of it, um, that a lot of the football that you're seeing, these are people who you can maybe feel a little bit more almost on the same level as, um, because, you know, the... the you know, maybe it could have been you or um, maybe these guys are, are not so far removed uh, from the people watching the game. So, yeah, that, that might be the thing. I, th I think that still exists. I mean, obviously, there's um, differences between the clubs, you know, Celtic and Rangers. That's maybe not the case so much anymore. But um, the rest of the premiership and certainly the levels below that are still the case. Yeah. Brilliant. No, no, it does sound like there is a strong connection there between um, fans and um, and the clubs themselves. But as um, as Kaitel mentioned earlier, Owen, you're also one of the hosts of um, the Pure Football uh, podcast. So um, from what I can see, it covers a lot, really, from mm. Scottish stories um, to stories about the people to stats and rumours. So there's a lot going on. But is there a certain aspect of Scottish football you enjoy um, discussing when you're on the Pure Football podcast? Um, I think the main thing that we maybe enjoy is trying to be very in-depth. Um, so I guess the way we would maybe describe the podcast is that it's unbiased and in-depth. Um, people in Scotland might kind of feel at times that maybe the media um, is dominated by Celtic and Rangers. Um, and maybe people might think that, you know, there's maybe an angle or an agenda for either side um, at times. So we can maybe give a counterpoint to that where um, we're, you know, very much kind of... Uh, it's not necessarily the case that we wouldn't address head-on issues for either, but I think we do it in a kind of objective way. And then the other thing, yeah, as I said, is that we like to go very in-depth. So um, a lot of my kind of interest in football recently um, had been from a statistical kind of data angle, um, tactics, and my co-host on the show, Gavin, he works for a recruitment consultancy within football. So we, we kind of like to look at those things from that kind of direction. Um, I think just invest a lot of time in the way that we approach um, the podcast. So that, that would be the main thing I would say about it. We enjoy being very kind of in-depth. Um, in terms of the type of topics that I personally like to do, well, maybe 
the one that we recorded this week is a good in, kind of example of that. So last night we did a live stream um, on Twitch, but also released it as a podcast today, um, where basically Gavin and I were tasked with pretending that we were director of football or head of recruitment for a club in the Scottish Premiership each. And that was quite a fun exercise to, um, you know, do that kind of speculative type thing. You know, Gavin really loves transfer rumours and stuff like that but also doing it in a way that's kind of very realistic. Um, so doing a lot of research about the way the club was playing, a lot of their kind of performance stats, um, a lot of kind of detail about the what we thought might be the budget and what the reality of operating in a January transfer window is. Um, and that was good fun. Uh, so yeah, that would be the other kind of example of what I like most. But yeah, similar to yourself, you know, all, all different types of podcasts can be exciting. We, we do kind of ones that are interviews as well and series of various things. But for me, yeah, maybe something like that where I can go dig my fingers into the reality of being involved in football. I mean, that sounds like a really fun exercise. I'm sure Kaitel and I would probably quite like to do something similar. But um, away from pure football to um, something else that you're involved in, and that's Scouted Football, or I know you write for them, and they, um, they're they a site that provide analysis on the, the, essentially the next generation of footballers. So I guess it's fair to say there's a lot of hype about young players that aren't necessarily first teamers yet i mean again i'll use tottenham as an example our young striker dane scarlett just scored five goals for the um, youth team today and yeah twitter's got very excited in the spurs community and you yeah alfie devine the other day but um mm. you're obviously sort of involved in that world to an extent of kind of keeping an eye on these exciting young talents so from your perspective what what is so exciting about potential young stars and conversely is there sometimes too much hype about young footballers? And are we, to some extent as a society, guilty of, and I'm going to try and say this word correctly, fetishising these wonder kids? I mean, we only have to look at people like Karamoko Dembele, who is a fantastic prospect, but I mean, we've all known about him since he was about 12. And then you've got the Odegaards and, of course, the, the infamous Freddie Adu. So, yeah, what, what do you think on those kind of things? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, Joe. And I think you're absolutely right to kind of highlight and call out the issue with uh, potentially fetid. I'll leave this pronunciation of that word to you. Hard to say. It's very yeah, absolutely. Um, potentially going over the board with, uh, you know, kind of um, these young players. I mean, my, my kind of day job um, is uh, sort of in the employment legislation field, um, dealing with kind of employers and employees. And, and I have myself uh, a lot of kind of interest in the duty of care that employers have to their employees I think this is no different you know with clubs um, there's a real duty of care that clubs have towards players you know to make sure they protect them there's a very thin line between celebrating your players and their achievements and creating unrealistic expectations and loading pressure on people um, when they're essentially children um, and their welfare should absolutely be paramount you're, you're completely right to highlight that however it's hard not to get excited about the potential in anything in life, right? Um, particularly if it's something you really are, you know, you care about, you're passionate about. Um, and I think that's obvious throughout football, not just with young players, but, you know, how much fans get excited about transfer windows and people are constantly thinking about, you know, who could we bring to our club instead of kind of focusing on, you know, how do you make your, your own players better? So there's this nature in football always. But in terms of young players, for me, the, the excitement is just, you know, the unknown, the the, the untapped possibilities, um, the fact that, you know, football is constantly evolving. So you could maybe even see something from, you know, a new player that is 
to an extent kind of completely new that transforms the game. Um, and, you know, that, that's a good thing, right? To keep your passion alive in, the, in what you, you care about. Um, but yes, absolutely. There's a there's a, a line, you know, to be drawn here. There's a, a balance to be found between being excited about uh, possibilities and not, um, you know, causing burnout in people, essentially, and remembering that these are individuals, humans, children, uh, and they deserve to be uh, thought of as such. Yeah, I think we'll probably be touching on some youth prospects again later on. It's interesting that point you made about sort of a new dynamic that can be brought into the game by these new generations. I think, <laughs> oops, my dog, I'll try to <laughs> hush him for just a moment as, as a neighbor brings their dog out. He doesn't like that. Um, but essentially, I was going to mention uh, Curlon. I was going to say we all probably remember Curlon, the seal hmm. dribble. Um, yep. so yeah, there is there's multiple fun fun sides to these these young players coming through. But I think we're going to jump into a game now, and it's going to be it's our oldest game. Um, and uh, I'm actually I'm going to do a voice in in a moment, a silly voice, because recently I've been too lazy to edit the silly voice that I recorded a while ago back over it. So I'm just going to do it live. So it's time for Who Are Ya? <laughs> Essentially, yeah, the game is Who Are Ya? Joe and Owen, you'll be figuring out the mystery player based off of one original clue. And then from there, we'll see how much more help you need. You can ask as many questions as you like. We'll see which one of you gets it first. Uh, and if you're listening, play along as well. So the player, the first one, the first clue I'll give you is that he was a Champions League finalist once upon a time. And I guess I should preface this by saying that in one way or another, these players are going to be either related to the Scottish Premier League or a Scot themselves. Can I guess now? You can, yeah. You can ask as many questions as you need. You can guess. Okay. Um... Did he play for Motherwell during no. his career? He only okay. played for one Scottish club. Okay. Okay. What what position was he? He was a winger. Okay. And it Is might he Scottish. Be... He's not Scottish. He's European. Okay. Interesting. Which decades was he in the Champions League uh, final in? The two thousands. And a fellow player at the same club that he played for in Scotland also played in that final. A quite like famous player as well. Wait, it's not the Chelsea Man U Champions League final, is it? Is no, it? it's not. Um, it's actually <laughs> probably like the, the most unexpected Champions League final of that decade. God. Oh, the Monaco Porto? I'm going to say, yeah, certain Jose Mourinho would have enjoyed it. Okay. Oh, so it's a so he, was he playing for Porto then, this guy? No. <laughs> okay, so we've got the team he was playing for. Yeah. Uh, oh, I've got it. I've got it. Go on, Joel. Put me out of my misery. Ludovic Julie. No. You, oh. You're so close, because Julie went on to play for Barcelona. I think you're thinking of the other winger. The other did player he, that he I was talking... for Rangers? Have I just made that off of my head? Did this guy apparently had four games for Rangers in a season-long loan that couldn't have been that successful. What I was going to say is it's not Dado Perso. So the team it is Rangers, though. Um, but it would have been Joe. Any thoughts or Owen? Oh, no. French. Jerome, was it Rothen? Yeah, you've got it, Jerome. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, yeah. There you go. Right, yeah, okay. Maybe he came probably. over under uh, Paul Le Guin and his short-fated, uh, <laughs> ill-fated spell as Rangers manager. That's yeah. a great question, Kai. I'm embarrassed at how much radio silence I contributed during my struggle there. <laughs> well, I've got a couple more, so you'll you'll be able to redeem yourself, I'm sure. But yeah, you mentioned Paul Le Guin. That was probably the time that, probably, what was it, Jean-Claude Darcheville and all those other French players. Oh, Darcheville. Ibrox, yeah. yeah. Yep. It's just like a twin city with Paris for, for a season. <laughs> Um, <laughs> moving on to the second one, the clue would be that this guy has played in Scotland, England, and Wales. 
in Wales. Oh, okay. So it could be. It, it, when we say in Wales, are we saying like Swansea or Cardiff as opposed to... We like, are saying, yeah. Not like TNS. Yeah. No, it's not Wrexham. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is he a current player? Yeah. I think he might play in Australia or he might play oh, in England okay. in a lower division. I think I have it, but I thought I had it last time and I didn't. So I'll, I'll get <laughs> is it Ross McCormack. It is Ross McCormack, who of course played for, I think, I didn't realise he was at Rangers first. I always thought of him as a Motherwell player, but then of course Cardiff and then a bunch of teams in England. And then he's even made it over to Australia since and I think is currently playing. I've got one more player for you guys. Um, mm. And the clue for this is... He's still playing at the age of 41 in the Spartan South Midlands League. And <laughs> back in the day, he played for four different Scottish clubs. Uh, he's, um, he's a forward. Uh, his Wikipedia is ridiculous. He's also played in, I think, Northern Ireland and in America and in Poland. Wow. And, Definition of a journeyman type uh, yeah. guy. Hmm. And he's played it? for a bunch of teams in the country where he's from, which is none of the places that I've mentioned. Okay. What continent is he from? He's European. Okay. Hmm. And he played for four Scottish teams, would you say? He did play for four Scottish teams. Although one of them was uh, Greenock Morton, who I'd never <laughs> heard of. <laughs> Greenock Morton are the team that Chris, who hosts one of our podcasts, is a fan of uh, he does like our our dedicated uh, championship uh, podcast. But anyway, back to this guy. Um, can we get which countries from around just Europe? Yeah, I think this might give a, a strong clue. He's Spanish. Oh, I think I know. Is it Nacho Nova? It is it is Nacho? I Man. did not realise that Nacho Nova was still playing. He had some serious health issues not too long ago. So okay. I'm glad he's. Uh, um, kicking a ball still, uh, literally. Well, <laughs> he's playing for, um, yeah, Biggles Wade United. Wow. So okay. um, if, you, if you ever want to see Nacho Novo play and you happen to live in, in the Midlands, um, once coronavirus is, yeah, passed, maybe we can catch that. Anyway. Okay, so Owen, let's mm. talk about um, some Scottish domestic football now. So um, let's talk about the, the Scottish Premiership first. So mm. I guess from our perspective, Kaito and I's perspective, the big story at the moment is that it looks like Rangers are set to win their first titles since 2011. So the first one in 10 years, which would also be the first one in 10 years that Celtic um, haven't won. Um, yep. So bearing this in mind, is this potential old firm power shift more down to Gerrard's impact in improving Rangers or... Celtics simply the architects of their own apparent downfall? Uh, well, I'm going to be pretty boring here and say it's a bit of both, right? Um, so you've picked out two things that are absolutely key to this. So on the one hand, Rangers have um, done some really good things recently um, to become a bit more progressive, get themselves out of their own kind of uh, period of the, the banter years, as it's called up here. Um, so they've they've got, you know, just the overall structure of the club. You know, they've got Ross Wilson now as director of football, who was at Southampton, and that's a kind of new role for them uh, within a club, and he seems to be performing well in it. We've got a good recruitment structure, um, analytics staff, as well as Gerard. They've got good tactical staff. So they've got a guy called Michael Beale, who you may have heard heard of who was involved at the academy at Liverpool and then you know he's been a coach in Brazil and stuff anyway tactically um good um and Gerard himself I think has impressed um particularly recently um in terms of tactical management and you know man management and stuff so they are operating um in a lot 
more of a progressive and modern kind of way. Um, the counterpoint to that, as you pointed to, is that Celtic, um, the, the issues I would say have been coming over the hill for Celtic. And obviously they've had a huge period of success, absolutely phenomenal, loads of trophies. Um, but I think you would say that maybe over the last kind of two years, maybe there's been some poor management from the top down, bit of a lack of a kind of modern approach, um, maybe didn't capitalise on their time uh, when they were so far in front um, financially and without Rangers even in the, the division. Um, and, you know, they've they've had maybe a bit of a disconnect between different departments. You know, maybe the recruitment hasn't been working in tandem with the manager. His various kind of internal power struggles, you know, CEO, manager, head of recruitment, who's actually deciding who to bring in. Obviously lost Brendan Rodgers to Leicester, which I think was inevitable at some point but maybe didn't happen at a time that they coped with very well and and you can see not just in those kind of football related things but just maybe in terms of their ill-advised trip to Dubai recently and their handling of that um, that even just the kind of PR stuff around the club the relationship with the fans it's all a little bit of a mess at the moment so yeah to to go back to your point it's it's a bit of both um, absolutely Rangers are doing brilliantly managing things very well but Celtic have uh, kind of maybe through a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of not capitalising the way that they should have done, have kind of brought this um, on them. And it feels a lot to me like the balance of power is shifting. And if Celtic don't do some serious things over the next six months to make themselves into more of a, a modern club at this point, then Rangers might have a few seasons now where they do the similar sort of thing that we saw kind of from Celtic from 2011 onwards. You know, It's going to be fascinating to see the career trajectory of Steven Gerrard if he does absolutely pull this off and how much longer he's going to be um, up there for. Um, yeah, I, I would say myself that well, I think generally as a manager, I mean, looking at it cynically from their perspective as a career, I think you have to strike while the iron's hot really in terms of your career. So if I was Gerrard, I'm going this summer to the Premier League in England if I can. You'd imagine there might be some opportunities. Um, I think that if you stay another season in Scotland, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a lover of Scotland, Scottish football and, and so on, but you don't really improve, in my view, on the perception of you beyond what he does this season if he wins the league, which they're certainly going to do. Yes, they'll be in the Champions League next season, but... They've done very well in Europe this season. I think that's enough. You know, you probably can't get a better job by doing relatively similar next season than you could this summer. Um, so anyway, but yeah, it will be really interesting to see what happens next with him. I think that he's, um, you know, there's a, a level of caution about the fact that the achievements are in Scotland. But if you look at the detail of how he's managing things, the team he has around him and stuff, I, I think there's a, a, a lot to hope for him to have a good career as a manager. Yeah. And him and someone you mentioned as well, Brendan Rodgers, are sort of potentially trailblazers in setting up this um, new sort of route into a higher level job, I, sort of essentially treating the Scottish Premier League as a stepping stone in, in some ways. But it'll be interesting to see maybe once Gerard leaves, who Rangers are able to replace him with, or for instance, yeah. if Neil Lennon or whatnot is going on at Celtic, if, if they can find someone maybe from England to to jump in but um focusing on the the rest of the the scottish premier league i guess from from the outside looking in is is where i would sort of like i would name my position yeah and just from what i can see the things that stand out would be livingston kind of higher up the table than i would expect and motherwell <laughs> lower down the table than i expect uh even yeah. i think was it graham alexander has just been appointed manager of motherwell we all love him from his uh penalty specialist days at, at burnley but would you say those <laughs> are essentially 
the major shocks or have there been some other stories in Scotland that people who don't have um, an eye on, on Scottish football might not have heard about? Obviously, the coronavirus is, a, is you know, a big deal everywhere. But yeah, tell us about, I guess, the, the, the other stories coming out of Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, coronavirus is obviously a big deal. The the kind of leagues, the third and fourth tier, so League One, League Two, have just been suspended for a three-week period due to um, COVID. So that's a, a big issue, obviously, for the players and clubs there. Um, the the things that you picked out, Kai, though, you're, you're absolutely spot on. Livingston have been a really interesting story this season. So they... Um, they had a bit to adjust to um, this summer because Lyndon Dykes, who was so important for them, moved to QPR. And he was a kind of huge aspect of their style of play. Um, so it was very interesting to see how they would adjust to that. And um, yeah, they got in a good uh, transfer fee for him, £2 million. But I think sometimes for a club like that in Scotland, you might have the money, but can you really attract players? You know, how much does having that cash elevate you um you know so it was interesting to see what would happen and things didn't go particularly well um to the extent that their their manager um ended up kind of stepping down and the person that replaced him um has done spectacularly well um so livingston as you pointed out kai they're now up to fifth in the table they've actually got two games in hand on a team in fourth they've um, been uh undefeated under their new manager with six wins uh, in the league in a row and the guy that you know, is now and as a manager, Davy Martindale is quite an interesting story. So he's somebody that wasn't a footballer, um, quite a troubled uh, background uh, with a criminal conviction, but has kind of been rehabilitated. He joined the club as a volunteer, um, not really to work in on the pitch type stuff, um, but then just through being around the club for a long time, worked himself up to being a coach, then became assistant manager through a string of different managers supporting them and was always kind of seen as being maybe the kind of tactical brains behind these couple of managers that they had. Um, Livingston do really quite progressive things off the pitch um, in terms of their football recruitment. Maybe one of the first teams in the Premiership to kind of embrace analytics in terms of the recruitment and kind of opposition analysis and so on. Um, there's a couple of people that have worked for him, them that have gone on to jobs in England and so on. So an interesting club, but Martindale has done uh, brilliantly. Um, I mean, what a rise to come from being a, a volunteer kind of at the club to be manager and now to have uh, this uh, six wins in a league in a row um, in his first six league matches. So an interesting one to keep an eye on and keep watching. Uh, and they're an interesting team to watch. Um, maybe more of a at least before Martindale, quite a direct team playing up to Dykes and so on, having people run off them, uh, focused on kind of marginal gains from set pieces and stuff like that. Um, still pretty direct under Martindale, but you know I kind of think that there's no right way to play. You know, it's kind of about finding your own kind of efficiencies and style. So they're a good, interesting team to watch and batting way above what you would expect them to, given their wage uh, bill and so on. The, the other one that you pointed out, yeah, Motherwell. Um, so Motherwell was the team team I was actually tasked with uh, recruiting for on the Pure Fitball uh, live stream last night and podcast, which came out today. If anyone's interested, if you just look us up on any podcast apps or Twitch um, at Pure Fitball and look for the Pure Speculation um, episode, and you can hear an hour of me talking about what Motherwell should do to get themselves out of this relegation battle. Um, but yeah, a, a bit of a surprise again with them. Again, they're a, an interesting team. Um, I, I think they've been praised over the last kind of 18 months, two years for their recruitment. They're also quite an interesting club in terms of their off-the-pitch approach, really good at social media, but involving the community. Um, but um, it kind of 
they're an example of how quickly things can change in football if you don't quite get the on the field stuff and the recruitment right because after having a couple of seasons of being high up the table and being in cup finals things have slipped away they've made some bad errors I think in terms of who they brought to the club they've developed a little bit of incoherence around what should be their identity on the pitch and now their joint second bottom and their manager um he wasn't dismissed he kind of walked away um I think um maybe felt he'd done as much as he could and was maybe under a lot of uh, personal pressure so anyway it'd be interesting to see how Graham Alexander uh, does I think that at his last club Salford um he, he was maybe criticized for the style of play um didn't necessarily fit in with what the kind of uh investors from you know the manual boys wanted um but maybe Motherwell needs something a bit more pragmatic to get them out of the relegation battle anyway and I would say that that's maybe the other aspect of the premiership that's most interesting so we know Rangers and Celtic are going to dominate below them Aberdeen and Hibs are kind of set for a not very interesting battle for who becomes third but beneath that even including Livingston like the other eight teams in the premiership they all potentially could be pulled into a relegation battle. And to bring it, bring it back to what you, you mentioned um, about the impact of COVID, Joe, um, the impact of COVID means that the teams haven't all played the same amount of matches each other because of postponements and stuff. So that kind of means as well as a little bit of intrigue as to how is this going to shake out, you know, where the teams really stand and so on. So that, that would be the other thing I would keep my eye on, um, who's going down um, this season, you know. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I guess much like all the leagues, um in Europe and the world even it, it feels like everything's a bit up the grabs this year so Absolutely. nice to see um, Livingston making the most of it and I mean the story about the manager is fantastic and I'm definitely mm. going to be keeping more of an eye on Livingston going um, going forward but um, clearly given the times we're living in Owen it's uh, it's pretty hard to make predictions really about anything but for once let's just ignore that and let's give it a go and um, so what do you think about the future of the SPFL? Are we likely in the next few years to see more investment in Scottish domestic football? And do you think there's a chance that a, like a genuine third contender can emerge to compete with Celtic and Rangers? I know, um, I know you said, obviously, we've got Aberdeen and Hibs who sort of have that role at the moment but is there going to be like one of those that might get some investment and it could potentially make the league a more compelling watch for the the non-scottish viewer as well sure um it's a good question i think in terms of investment things like that will change things um the most interesting story is probably around aberdeen who um have kind of teamed up with uh atlanta united in the states um with a kind of strategic partnership basically um and, and that's been going on for about a year um we've not really seen a, a lot come from it yet but i think that's going to give aberdeen a lot of ideas and strategies in terms of revenue generation um commercial things that they can do off the pitch so i think that the intention and i think this has been obviously set back by the impact of covid and not actually having fans at games but the intention is to do more of the kind of things that you might see um, in American sports in terms of involving uh, fans and making it more of a match day experience um, and trying to kind of bring that side to the the fore for them. But also um, maybe that is is hoped for that it will open up different types of recruitment for them as well. Um, it'd be interesting. I mean, obviously the South American market is going to be more interesting for British clubs, given the impact of Brexit. Um, is there then the pathway from South America to Atlanta to Aberdeen? Those kind of things. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But um, that's maybe the area where there's going to be a 
potential um, contender. I think we would be hard pressed because of the gulf in support and finances um, to expect a Leicester type scenario. Um, but you kind of hope for it, right? You really need, uh, I guess, two. You need an incredible level of smart recruitment decisions. You know, we need to remember that Leicester people like Kante and Mares have gone on to be superstars, and, and you also need a very bad season. Um, and in Scotland, you need a bad season for both Rangers and Celtic. So, you know, it's not necessarily that likely, but um, that might be one to keep an eye on. Um, apart from that, um, Hibs are doing some good things in terms of their background. Um, you know, they're, uh, they've got a sporting director in place. Their recruitment is really modern, um, all that kind of stuff. And the other one I would maybe keep an eye on is Hearts. So Hearts are in the second tier. They got relegated. But there can be sometimes a benefit to having a little bit of time to kind of reset. Um, you know, we, we can see that for clubs like, I mean, as a completely different type of example, right? But the, the transfer ban for Chelsea and the opportunity that maybe gives a team to bring through some youth, um, things like that. So you, you can see that as a the impact for Hearts could be in some ways be an opportunity. Small examples for them specifically are that in terms of the Scottish government's support for clubs during COVID-19, the premiership clubs have been given uh, a loan. So they obviously need to pay that back, whereas the championship clubs, which Hearts are part of, have been given a grant. So they don't need to pay that back. So in terms of financial position, that maybe improves things for them despite this kind of step back. So that would be an interesting one for me to watch as well um, if they come back up to the premiership this season. But yeah, um, I, I don't expect any wild changes um, but those are things to keep an eye on. You know. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with that link between Atlanta United and Aberdeen. Maybe we'll see some mm. uh, some cheerleaders at Pitadri sooner rather than later. <laughs> although you'd hope that they don't have to wear the traditional kind of outfit because that might get a little cold. Um, <laughs> moving on from, uh, I guess, uh, football in Scotland, but still sticking with Scottish players. Um, England in general has been a popular route for Scots down the years, and for obvious reasons. Mm. But Currently, the English top flight, the Premier League is littered with Scottish talent. The likes of Andy Robertson and more recently Kieran Tierney have been showcasing the high levels of talent that Scotland can produce. But besides them, uh, there's players like Scott McTominay at United, Billy Gilmore at Chelsea, and other ones like Ollie Burke and Ryan Fraser, um, who I think are playing against each other today, Sheffield United at Newcastle. And Fraser, Fraser even got sent off. But um, anyway, um, all those guys are leaving you know, their stamp on, on English football. McTominay aside, who wasn't born in Scotland, what realistically if anything needs to happen for Scottish clubs to be able to hang on to these players? And does it really matter, I guess? Like, how painful is it not only to see the country's best talent consistently leave for better opportunities, but more so, does it frustrate you, given kind of the rivalry between Scotland and England, that typically these guys are ending up at English clubs? It's a good question, Kai. Um, I don't think it's particularly frustrating for me, um, because I think I'm kind of maybe more invested in what's best for the player's career um you know that's kind of what i want for them certainly you know an ideal world right we would have some sort of football in utopia in scotland where uh, we could pay the same sort of wages as the premier league and all these guys would stay and it's the you know the best event in the world but in reality um that's not the case so i'm happy for these people to go and play um at a level that is more challenging for you know clubs that are going to develop them better and obviously being paid higher wages so good for them um in, in terms of um how we maybe combat that well i think you can still try and hang on to these people for longer um you know to um maybe position yourself if you're a club in scotland as 
developing people for a little bit longer. I think quite often we maybe see people, and I'm not talking here about the, you know, likes maybe of Kieran Tierney, who it was a kind of natural route, but um, maybe some other people who maybe try and make the jump, for instance, to the English Championship and maybe fail because they've gone too early. I would maybe like our clubs to be able to convince people to develop for a further 12, 18 months or whatever before they kind of make those steps. Um, and the other thing I would suggest is that in order to do that, the clubs are going to get, they're going to have to get better at making money, essentially. Um, so, you know, there's the 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 drain, the, the kind of brain drain that you're pointing to um, out of Scotland to England for those elite stars um, it is an issue at times, but usually we're compensated for that with transfer fees. The issue for me is often at a slightly lesser level where Scottish clubs allow the players that they could maybe sell for you know 500 grand, a million or whatever to League One in England or abroad to go away um, out of contracts. There's often too much uh, risk averseness, I would say, in the Scottish Premiership about securing people to multiple year contracts because the clubs are scared or we'll get relegated and we'll be stuck with these wages. But obviously the, the counter to that is then you just end up losing these people for nothing. Um, and we have very little in terms of prize money within the league. The TV deal isn't great. Um, so the clubs, in my view, need to think about how do they um, you know, have more income um, to then be able to keep better talent because the, you know talent deserves to be paid. Um, and it's only you know natural that they're going to go to England or somewhere else if they're not. So that that to me is the key. Um, but in, in general terms, I'm very happy for people like uh, uh, Tierney and Robertson and so on that they found their well their way to um, you know the kind of heights. Yeah. Well, um, Kaitel was just mentioning then players or Scottish players that ended up in England. But now I just want to bring to your attention a Scottish player that ended up and is still in Portugal these days, I mean, Ryan Gould. Um, so Ryan Gould um, famously signed for Sporting Lisbon from Dundee United back in 2014. And sort of unfortunately for him at Sporting Lisbon, it didn't seem to really work out. He had quite a lot of loan moves. He even came back to Scotland um, to play for Hibernian briefly, I think. Um, but he's now at Firenze, who are in the, the top division. They've just got promoted. And he seemingly doing quite a good job there. Um, so really, Owen, what I wanted to ask you was, do you think that Ryan Gould might still end up fulfilling that, those high expectations that were set when he signed for Sporting? Or do you think he's an example of someone who was potentially hyped too much and it maybe maybe affected him? Well, uh, people called him Mini Messi, right? So he was definitely hyped too much. That's so absolutely ridiculous. And that comes back to what you were saying earlier, Joe, about you know the expectations that we set for uh, young players. But um, I think he he is fulfilling his potential um, this season. Uh, even before that, he's having an excellent season playing for a team who are not one of the big three in Portugal. So it's difficult. Um, a team that he helped promote last season um, and. They're down the bottom of the table, um, but he's actually been uh, outstanding for them, but also outstanding in terms of people in his position in the league. Um, if you're interested, one of my teammates at Pure Football, uh, Byron Hutchison, who um, does um, some guest spots on our kind of European uh, podcast and is a social media manager at the Bundesliga, he... Um, he has a kind of website uh, where he follows Scottish players uh, from afar. Uh, and so he's the best person, in my view, to follow um, if you're interested in Scottish people who aren't playing in Scotland. 
he's written a lot about Ryan Gold, um, has a lot of detail about how he's done, and he's a, a real enthusiast for him. Um, and I think uh, there's kind of two things I would say about this. So firstly, um, yes, he is absolutely fulfilling his potential. He's doing really well. It's a good league um, and it's great to see. Um, I'm really, really happy for him because he's had a difficult time in terms of those multiple loan moves, but also injuries and things like that. So it's, it's always good to see somebody succeed in that way. And the other thing I would just want to say as well, given we spoke about players going to England as well, is that it's lovely to see somebody take a different route. You know, I'm all for people kind of... Uh, going to different places, uh, you know, experiencing different cultures. And it's something that we don't really see enough of with Scottish players historically. You know, I, I think just the easy option is there to go to England. Um, you know, obviously no kind of uh, language difference, easy to see family and so on. But I think we're seeing maybe a small wave of players um, that can look up to Ryan Gold, who's done it, who are now going over to other countries. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited by that from that perspective too, apart from just his own success. Yeah, I think it would be what Aaron Hickey, another example of a, a young Scott who took a more alternative route. He's playing for, I think, Bologna, possibly. In That's New right. Yeah, currently, and um, was linked to Bayern, yeah. I think, before that. So definitely a, one to look out for. Um, sticking on Scots abroad before we do move on to the to the next section. Um, a while ago, there was a, a youngster called Jack Harper, who was mm -hmm. on the books of uh, Real Madrid, technically, a young Scott. And even... Back in the day, I remember Stephen Fletcher, I think, during his Hibs days being linked to, to Real Madrid. Um, who knows how, how accurate that source was. But essentially, you look at someone like Andy Robertson, who you, essentially he could play in basically any team in the world, but he is at Liverpool and he's won the Champions League and that's brilliant. Do you think there will come a time sooner rather than later that we'll see a Scott make it at a club like Real Madrid, for instance? We've seen, you know, Bale go there, Beckham, Owen, even Jonathan Woodgate rocked up even jo julian faubert but that's a different story <laughs> there's a lot of guys who've, who've, who've played for real madrid down the years um do you think it will there'll be a scott there eventually and what what would that do for scotland uh, in terms of just like the, the footballing map um how would how would uh, a nation of scottish football fans feel about that i think we'd feel uh, brilliant i mean personally i'd feel even better if he was at barcelona instead of real madrid but <laughs> that's a, a side thing um yeah that'd be very very exciting obviously you want people from your country that you identify with to go to the highest level they can um there are two i mean obviously real madrid are maybe still the pinnacle but talking of super clubs there are two scottish kids at bayern munich you you mentioned that aaron hickey almost went there and chose to go to bologna um well there there's a, a central defender called liam morrison and a winger called barry hepburn who are both at bayern munich they're 17 years old and they went there from celtic so maybe they have the potential ultimately to um you know play for bayern munich or or jump ship when they see Kylian mbappe be snatched up by Real Madrid. Maybe they'll think, right, we need to get on board with this. There's another three um, Champions Leagues in a row coming or something. But yeah, that, that would be incredible. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't really happened for Jack Harper, but if it did happen in the future, I'd be delighted. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it feels like it's probably um, sooner rather than later it will happen. And partly why is because of the um, success of the national team that you can all see at the moment. So our final section is all about the Scottish national side, who um, are obviously COVID permitting off to their first major tournament since, is it since 1998? Would that mm -hmm. be the last? Um, yeah, so when they um, take place, hopefully in the European Championship. So, um, so Owen, what, what are your hopes for this Scottish side at this upcoming tournament? And I guess beyond, um, do you think they're going to make a few tournaments now? Is it the start of something quite exciting for the national side? 
Um, well, my, my hope for this tournament, right, I've got to be honest, would just be to beat England. <laughs> I've got to be frank about that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Um, um, but no, look, I'm, I'm just delighted that we're there. As you've said, it's um, over two decades worth of a wait for this, so it's just nice to be involved. Um, my other hope, of course, is that we get a, a vaccine and we can actually get to some of these games. You know, the Scotland's group is taking place in Glasgow and London. Um, so it'd be lovely to be able to actually go to a game or if not have some sort of, you know, fan zone type thing. So that, that's that's really my expectations are not too high um, in terms of the actual kind of performances there. It's just to be involved and, and you know, be part of that. It should be lovely. In terms of the next few years, um, yeah, I, I certainly hope so. I don't want to get overboard here because I think that... Um, International football involves a lot of luck um, in terms of um, player availability, in, in terms of you know the actual kind of one-off nature sometimes of the matches. And Scotland were lucky. Um, I don't want to kind of set kind of false impressions here that we kind of romped our way to um, the Euros. I, I know you know the outpouring of emotion afterwards and so on, and um, the picking on positive moments can make it seem that way. But I need to be realistic that some of the performances, some of the football. Um, hasn't necessarily to me been, you know, kind of, oh, you should be at a tournament level, but we're there. Um, so we need to embrace that. And I think the thing I would also want to embrace as well is that at international football, you do need um, that run of time together, um, that kind of uh, feeling of being able to generate a, a club feel effectively by having your manager in place, by having that maybe a smaller pool of players than we've historically used. I think, you know, if you look at Scotland's kind of selection over the past, two decades and um, we've handed out too many caps to too many or you know we've had too big a pool of people that have had a small amount of caps so the the the, pro, the kind of potential that Steve Clark shows is that he won't necessarily favor people you know it's not about favoritism or not trusting new people but it's about building that kind of core and developing that together and adding in, you know, people like you mentioned earlier Billy Gilmore people that are promising that can elevate it and yeah um like I said, there's a lot of luck. It's difficult to qualify for these tournaments. You know, you can be in a group as Scotland with maybe two European giants, and then it's very difficult to even get a playoff place. But with the right bit of luck, with having, you know, people develop in the way that I think they could, there's no reason why we couldn't be at, um, you know, other tournaments beyond this for the next kind of two decades, maybe, of successful being at tournaments rather than two decades of not being there. That'd be lovely, yeah. It's interesting to hear you talk about this transition from a wider pool to a more mm. narrow one. And um, we're going to focus on that wider pool to some extent to wrap this show up. I've got a quick little game. And speaking of the last couple of decades, essentially, I'm going to pair together players who've represented Scotland since the 2000s. And I'm just looking for one name over the other in terms of which one's your preference, the better player. It doesn't have to be so specific, but you're just going to you're going to pick one. So okay. um, this first one, I've kind of off the bat messed it up for, for the goalies. I've got three of them, so I still just want one name. But the rest of them is just going to be pairing. So essentially, cool. the names are Craig Gordon, David Marshall and Alan McGregor. I need to go with Marshall for the Serbia penalty save. Yep. Yeah, recent hero. OK, so moving on, Christian Daly or David Weir? David Weir. Alan Hutton, uh, Kieran Tierney. Tierney. Okay, these guys don't play in the same position exactly, but they're defenders. Gary Caldwell, Stephen Whitaker. Oof. Uh, Gary Caldwell. All right. Paul Hartley, Charlie Adam. Charlie Adam for still doing it, still delivering great assists in the Scottish Championship right now. 
uh, Scott Brown or Barry Ferguson? Oh, contentious. Um, Scott Brown. Okay. Uh, Sean Maloney or James McFadden? McFadden. Stephen Fletcher or Chris Boyd? Stephen Fletcher. All right. I've got a couple more. Kenny Miller or Stephen Naismith? Uh, Kenny Miller. And then James Morrison or John McGinn? John McGinn. Easy. John McGinn is underrated. Love that guy. I think he could walk into pretty much any team in the world. Um, maybe I'll sound stupid for saying that, but I'll stick by that for now. And then the last one, I figured this would be another kind of contentious one. Andy Robertson or Darren Fletcher? Andy Robertson, without a doubt for me. Yeah. All right. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I like John McGinn too, Kai. I think that was, it was a bold statement, but it feels that game and the statement, it feels like it's a great time to bring this episode to a, to a close. So as always, a big thank you to my co-host, Kai Tell, And of course, a big thank you to our guest, Owen, too. It's been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest. And I hope you've enjoyed talking about Scottish football with a couple of non-Scots. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on, Kai and uh, Joe. It's been good. Oh, brilliant. And um, Owen, I know you've mentioned a few of your projects um, throughout the episode, but how can our listeners follow you and um, all of your respective football projects? Yeah, if, if uh, you hit me up on Twitter, that's probably his place. My handle is at Owen James Brown. And if you want to listen to the Pure Football podcast, uh, it's spelled P-U-R-E and then new word football, F-I-T-B-A-W for any non-Scots. Um, and we're on all the kind of usual podcast apps and also on uh, Twitch and Twitter and so on. Um, that would be really appreciated if you don't want to come and, and kind of check out what we do. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, if you enjoyed listening to Owen and also enjoyed listening to us, make sure you follow his accounts, but also our social media accounts too. So that's at United Mates FP. And we're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And we're also on YouTube too. So just search for the United Mates football podcast and you can subscribe there. That's all for now. Thank you very much and goodbye. <laughs>